All right, all right, all right. Okay, sweet. Good morning, everybody. Hey, if you have um, a Bible, would you grab it or pick it up? If you would like a Bible, there's some on the back table if you want an analog copy, if you're old school. Um, otherwise, if you want to pull it up, however you get access God's Word, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 24, and Coleman is going to read our text for us, and then, uh, then we'll get into the message, all right? All right, Genesis chapter 24, verse 1. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in the household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord of God of heaven and the God of earth that you will not that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living. But I will go to my country and my own relatives, and I will get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offsprings I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham, and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant left, talking with him, taking taking with him, ten of his master's camels loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He sent out for Aram, Aram Naharim, and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well, outside the town. It was toward evening, the time that the woman got to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside the spring and the daughters of the town's people are coming out to draw water. May it be May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let, your, let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder she was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man have ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came back up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll water for your camels, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar in the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring, weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then asked, Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there in your father's house for us to is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, and the son the son 
that Milka aboard to Nahor, and she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to, stand, to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. Thanks, my bro. Yeah, it's a long one. That's good. From one person with a golden nose ring to another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Um, Lord, by faith, uh, we want to enter into this story. We read a big old chunk of that because you have so much cool stuff for us in here. So by faith, just because we believe that you speak to us through your word, that it's not just historically awesome, but it's uh, spiritually like a sword for our souls. It's surgical in nature. It does just the right thing at just the right time and just the right person. Lord, by us being here and sitting through this, it's our way of saying, I want to be that person. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a cool story. When I was asking Coleman to read at first, I was like, okay, if you could just read chapter 24, but it's 70 verses. And I told him, I'm like, hey, when you're reading, you'll notice when you lose everybody. So we were like, how much do you read? Because sometimes you enter in and and you're reading and it's so good. And and sometimes it can be like, dude, does this story ever end? And the answer is the story of God working in your life. No, it never ends because he's eternal and we're eternal. And then we open up the Word of God and we look at these stories as we've been looking at the beginning of things in Genesis and we see people's lives and the reality of their lives and all the stuff that's, that's going on. And it's sort of like, well, okay, cool, that's, that's crazy. What, what does that mean for me? Well, we're looking today at a story of a father, a son, and a servant, their relationship. And of a potential bride for the son. But we're actually looking at much more. Because if I just said those words, these are like gospel keywords: Father, son, the helper, the servant, and a bride. What is happening in this story? It's both awesome in the fact that like it really went down this way. But it's so much more than that. Before we read this from our American perspective and ears, we have to understand that forever before us, people have been reading this with a Jewish background. They knew that Isaac was representative of the promised son, that God promised Eve. Remember in John, or in, excuse me, in Genesis chapter 3, when the servant came in and they sinned, therefore all have sinned. And then it's like, and your seed will crush the serpent's seed. So there's always been this promise of this seed, this one that was coming. And now Sarah finally has the son that was promised after she was 90 years old. And then she has since passed away. And so now Abraham and Isaac remain. Son, Isaac, representative of Jesus for us, this beautiful picture of the, the, the one that would bring about a new people. The servant. This is a picture of the Holy Spirit. The one who was sent to do something. Abraham, the father, the one who wants this bride for his son, who has this promise and sends the Holy Spirit to complete it. Sends the servant to complete it. The imagery is thick. It's also very important. I've titled this morning's message, A Missionary's Memoirs. I was thinking about missionaries this week, because we'll see one before us today. And I've had friends over the years that were missionaries. My good friend Brian, who planted this church, um, I don't know, nine years ago now, 
um, was a missionary. He and his wife, they went to Africa, and they were there for 10 years. And he has cool stories. And I love listening to missionaries' stories because um, they're cool. And they go places, and they, they, they do things. I was, I was thinking this week about someone that I read about, uh, Jim Elliott. Anyone ever heard of Jim Elliott? He was the missionary that got killed by the people he was going and trying to reach. And then his wife didn't hate those people. As a matter of fact, she went and devoted her life to serving those people. Many of them came to faith. And this is a rad story. But Jim Elliott is the one who says really cool things like, uh, he is no fool who gives up what he can't gain to gain what he could never lose. Maybe you've heard that before. It was him who said that. But the thing I like about missionaries is they live by a code. Before Mandalorians lived by a code, missionaries lived by a code. Because Mandalorians, they're not, they're not real. <laughs> Just to let you know. Their lives are purposeful missionaries. There's a purpose to what they're doing. But they often have to be reminded of what are we doing here? What is our purpose here? There is an aim in their lives that is visible and contagious. That's why we read their life stories and we remember things they say. But I just love hearing people's stories. When I hear someone and it's like, what's your name? Where are you from? Tell me about yourself. And we realize that God has brought us all from some places you wouldn't expect when you meet someone. How did you get here in your life? How did God lead them from one place to the next? Whether they know it yet or not that God led them, God is opening doors and drawing people to himself. So I just love to hear. How did you get here? What are you up to? How did you come to be this way? Why are you so mean? <laughs> Why am I so mean? Why did I respond that way? It's just so fascinating to hear what the lessons that they've learned along the way, the decisions they've made, the ones that helped them, the ones that hurt them, because we can learn from that. The lessons that they've learned along the way, and what would they share with another person who's on a similar journey? Well, we're going to look at some things spoken about this man, this servant. That's where we're going to zoom in. Because the Lord has a word for us in this man's testimony and in his memoirs. I actually believe, as I've been praying and thinking at the beginning of the year, Lord, what is something that you would want us to know as a church? I think he's been telling us to aim true these past few weeks as we think about we worship what we're aiming at with our lives. I think he's been speaking that. And then uh, I think there's something in here for us today. So I want to look at four things about this servant that were true for him, that have been true for every missionary who has ever lived, and they are true for you and for us at a church. We're going to look at four things. So the subtitle of the message is, Your Mission Should You Choose to Accept It. There are things that we need to be reminded of we're going to look at four things that God is looking for in people that he wants to send into the mission field. The first one is this. God is looking for faithful people. God is looking for faithful, you could also put trustworthy people. Look at what is said about him in just the first couple of verses. Abraham was now very old. I love they said that because he was already old. <laughs> He had a kid at 100. Well, he didn't have the kid. He played a very small part of the process, but he fathered a child at 100 years old. And now it says he was very old. I love this about Abraham because Abraham was the father of faith. And at 100 years old, he's like, I got to find a wife for my son because I'm going to die. We realize later that he lives for another. Anybody know how long? Yeah. Then, it, I, maybe it says it. We should look it up. To, then it's like he was super freaking old at that point. <laughs> but here he is very old. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. This is how he thought of his life. His wife had gone and since and been with the Lord, the one whom he had loved and been with and ups and downs of life. She was now gone. 
all his mistakes as he looks back and the things that he's done. But when he is an old man and looking at his life, you know what he says? God has blessed me in every way. And he said to the senior servant in his household, this senior servant is now introduced. The one in charge of all that he had. He said, put your hand under my thigh. I've been like, um, okay. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living. We're kind of told a couple of things here just in these first verses. This servant's name, by the way, is given to us chapters before. So this is the servant when God spoke to Abraham and is like, Abraham, look at the stars. Do you see how many there are? Um, you're going to have offspring like this through your son that I'm going to give you. Sarah's going to give birth. You're going to call his name Isaac. Remember when we talked about in between time, how you live in between when God promises you something and you see it come to be fulfilled and you kind of, we fumble our way along. Well, Abraham was fumbling his way along and then he says somewhere a few chapters ago, he says, God, how am I going to do this? Everything I have is going to go to my, my heir, Eleazar, my senior servant, because you haven't given me a son yet. So in the process of waiting, we hear that Abraham, he was going to pass on all of his inheritance, all of his um, stuff that you leave behind. Was it, he's like, it's not going to go to, it was like, who's seen Gladiator? Be honest. Do you know how uh, Maximus Aurelius wanted to pass his powers, or not Maximus, uh, the emperor wanted to pass his powers to Maximus, not to his son? That was like that type of situation. That was his trusted servant. His, he was going to be his heir. That's who this person was. Ride or die for life, this person was with them and served them. And they were like brothers. But God gives him his son. So who does he send on his behalf of his kingdom? His most trusted servant. Eleazar is his name. He was the manager of his household. He ran things. He trusted them with everything. A little different than when we think of servant. Or this could actually be translated slave as well. But he had full run of the house. Everything that was the master's was his. Sounds like the Holy Spirit. He takes what is the master's and distributes it. This is a position of great honor, but with great honor, it's a position of great responsibility. He was entrusted with everything. God is looking for people that are faithful. Here's the thing about faithfulness. With faithfulness, then comes call and then comes commission. We live in a world that, is, that loves platforms. If you give me a platform, then I will do this. It is backwards to the, to the way God does it. He says, if you are faithful, I can entrust you with this. If you are trustworthy, I can entrust you. We read about it in three verses. This man had given his entire life to just be faithful. And then the master sends him on a mission. Why? Because he can be trusted with the task. What is the task? Go back to my country and find a person for my son. Find a wife for my son. Go into the world and pull someone out of the world for my son and my household and my kingdom. Don't take my son into this place and put him there, but go and get someone and bring them to me. If you're feeling like God isn't using your life, or you're stagnant, or you're not growing, or you're, you're bitter because someone is getting a promotion and you're not getting a promotion, people around you seem to be going up and you seem to be going down or staying in the same place, I just want to ask you, are you being faithful with what he's already entrusted you with? Or are you just looking for more? Because God wants to give you the keys to the kingdom, but he wants you to be ready for it. And he wants me to be ready for it. 
He says, be faithful with what he's entrusted to you, and when the time is right, he will add more. As a matter of fact, God wants us so much, he wants us to know that he desires more than giftedness or charisma, faithfulness. Paul says this, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, when he's talking about missionaries and going out and planting churches, he's like, what does it take to go and do that? What type of cred do you need? In a degree? What type of letters do I need behind my name? What type of education? This is what Paul said. This then is how you ought to regard us, servants of Christ and entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. So that's what he said. We're just serving God and doing what he's asked us to do. And he's like, and here's what is required. Verse 2. Now it is required. What's the requirement? To those who have been given a trust, just be faithful. It's the thing that is most required for God to use and work through your life. It's just faithful. Which reminds me of something that a very famous missionary said one time. Her name, we know her as Mother Teresa. Dude, I was reading about her life this week, and I went down this long, just rabbit hole. She was such a spiritual gangster. The stuff she did, the places she went, and when it was all said and done, and people were looking at her life, and they're like, how'd you do all this? This is what she said. God did, has not called me to be successful, she said. He called me to be faithful. Pretty dope. What else is God looking for in people that he wants to send that the servant shows us? God is looking for people who are devoted to his mission, not their own. See, the servant's job was to take that which was requested by the father to fulfill a promise to the son. That's the servant's job. Do what the father asked him to do, to fulfill a promise to him and to serve the son. Look at these verses here, uh, back in our story. Verse 5. The servant asked him, oh, by the way, the hand under the thigh thing. I might have it later in my notes. It's, a, it's, a, it's an intimate. It's supposed to be sort of awkward. It was the most intimate of oaths. It is the place in which um, life comes from that you place like a hand and make an oath. It's, it's like cross your heart times 10. <laughs> Second thing God is looking for, people devoted to God's mission. Verse 5, the servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me? So he gets the order, marching orders and he asks a question, fair question, what's... What if she's unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Verse 6, make sure you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, uh, if you have your Bible and you're a highlighter, circle verse 7. The Lord, oh wait, not verse 7. Don't underline that one. That one's not very good. It's coming. It's coming. Too late. The Lord God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and out of my native land, who spoke to me and promised me the oath, saying, To your offspring, I will give you this land. Oh, yeah, this is the one to underline. Listen to this. He will send his angel before you so you can get a wife for my son from there. He's saying, Go, be faithful, go for it. God's going to send his angel. How much different would you and I live if you got up in the morning and you're like, freaking angel's going before me today. I just got to be faithful and do what God has called me and he's going to show me what's up as I go. I swear we would live differently. Amen. He'll send his angel before you so you can get a wife for my son from there. The first thing I read is I'm like, no pressure. <laughs> If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Under oath. 
this oath and this whole deal, it's, it's a sign to the, his, uh, his, his unwavering commitment. He's been committed, and he's saying, the way you have been all these years, I'm asking you to be that same way in this new commission that I'm giving you. He wasn't ready for this without what he had been through before. I heard someone say years ago, it stuck with me. And you got to think about it, but it's good. He says this, God will never put you over what he desires you to be over until you place yourself under those he has placed over you. God will never place you over that which he wants to place you over until you place yourself under those he has placed over you. Uh, Top Gun, the sergeant says it to Maverick when he says, your butt is writing checks, your body can't cash or something. It's like that. He's building character, not just charisma. He was sold out to the master's mission, not his own, because he loved him. Is that not what Jesus asked us to do in John 15, John 14? What he's like, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, <coughs> excuse me, do what I ask you to do. And we're like, Lord, how do I do that? And he says, if you do that, uh, John 14, verse 16, <clears throat> I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. This is who we want to be. This is who we're supposed to be as a church. Amen. Our mission, should we choose to accept it, if we want to be people that are about God's mission and not our own, Jesus lays it out like pretty clear for us. At the end of Matthew, after he raises from the dead and he gathers his crew back around him right before he goes to the heaven, he, he gathers them around and he says, then Jesus came to them and he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and know this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. When we respond to that call <clears throat> to be about God's mission, <clears throat> hold on a second, I need some water. That's that, yeah, send me moment. Then the reality sets in that came to Eleazar that we think about, and there's this one. With response, then comes responsibility. Yeah, I want to do it. And we always want responsibility as a kid. We want to drive. We want to do this. We want to do that. But with response comes this new responsibility. First he had to go. Then as he starts out, we realize, dude, this is hard. There's a new burden. Funny things, burdens. They make us do weird stuff. Um, some of us go to a place multiple times a week where we lift burdens with different body parts so we can get strong. Some of us are carrying around burdens unnecessarily because we think we've been told that we have to. Some burdens make us strong. Some burdens weigh us down. Which ones do we ditch off and do we escape from? And which ones do we, it's not something to escape, but something to navigate. The Holy Spirit shows us as he's with us. You know how far he had to go, Eleazar, back to where um, Rachel was at the well? It's probably about 600 miles each way. So it's at least, if you're traveling quickly, 10 camels, caravan, all that gold, all these gifts. He, he was, it was a sample size of the kingdom of the Father. That sounds like the church. 
a sample size of the kingdom of heaven, a colony of heaven here on earth. Probably, you know, at least a month or two, something like that. So they're, they're traveling. There's a lot of travel time in this missionary thing. 600 miles for one conversation? If we use the metrics that we love to use in our modern measuring world, would this be, maybe it'd be a success because he found a wife. But how many days did it seem like there was nothing happening? He had to be reminded, this is not my mission. This is God's mission. This is the Father's mission. I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for the Lord. And I'm already successful because I'm obeying and I'm going. He knew what the mission was. His mission was to go. I like it like this. He knew what the mission was. God knew who the mission was. He knew who he was supposed to be. And then he entrusted to the who God was going to bring to God. Which is important. But in the, in the daily grind of life, I believe Eleazar needed to know who sent him, where he was, just reminded who sent him, where he's going, what he's supposed to do. Who sent him, where he's going, what he's looking for. And I just thought about that in my own daily life. It keeps me connected to the Lord. Who sent me? Who loves me? Who's am I? Who am I serving? I can do that on a Tuesday. I can do that on a Wednesday. On just the days when it's just like normal life. I would say it affected his prayer life for sure. I love the prayer in verse 24. Then he prayed, God, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today. That's a faithful prayer. Jesus said, like, tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. But, like, there's some stuff today. Be, be faithful with today, with the day that God has placed in front of you. And this was, like, Eleazar's whole deal. We see however long it took him to travel, and then he's at a well, and we'll get to that in a second. But we're talking about the person. He was about God's mission. He was connected. Abraham's servant, I'll end this point with this. Abraham's servant was focused on his mission and he would not be distracted from its fulfillment. This is a sidebar. Sounds like a over here comment, but I believe it fits totally. So just hear me out and then I'll move on. I think it's important on this daily faithful to the mission thing. Because I think there's probably lots of opportunities to get him distracted how did he end up exactly where he needed to be? We'll talk about that in a sec. But one of the things, he was focused. He was connected to the Lord in prayer. Okay? And he was like, this is where we're going. This is what the Lord said. I don't know all the stuff, but he said to do this. Here's why. I think right now there's a lot of stuff distracting the church from like the basic mission of God. To connect people to Jesus. Like, like, introduce us, he might be saying. I created them. I want them to know me. I'm sending you. If you're willing to go, your mission, should you choose to accept it, be faithful. And then be about the Father's mission. There's going to be stuff in a new way this year that's going to come across our desk as the church that's going to have the potential to get us off course. Don't let it. Don't let how someone feels about you or what someone might have said about you get you off course. Don't let the craziness that, that the world is, talks about, even people that do it and they say they're doing it in the name of Jesus, stay focused. Be the person who says, as for me and my house, I'm focused on who God is making me to be. Okay? Not, 
the metrics of who were who the what the church is supposed to get. What the it's just like just be faithful. The next thing that he shows that we want to look at, God is looking to send as his servants, his messengers, people who love to give God the glory and not take credit for themselves. He loves to send people who will give God the glory. Not, that's why we read missionary stories and you're like, dude, they're so awesome. I want that for my life. Because they, they're part of amazing things. And you're like, say what? That happened? And this happened? And they're like, yeah, dude, it was crazy. And they'll be like, praise God, he did all this stuff. And we just got to be a part of it. Look at what it says in verse 26 and 27. After they get there and the whole deal happened, then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord. After he met Rachel at the well and like all this, God answered his crazy prayer, which is the next point. They get to the house and, and, and he goes, praise God, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord led me on this journey to the house of my master's relatives. He was like, dude, I was just doing what God asked me to do. And I got here. And I was like, Lord, would you let this day be a success? Did he pray that every day? Probably. And then this was the day. Is this the day? And then all this stuff happened and he's sitting there and he's just like, I, look at what God did. I was just going. And then I prayed this prayer. God met me. God met and did this stuff. And then he was just like, God is so good. This talks about a big Bible word. You ready? It's called providence. It's it, the definition of providence. It's good to know. It means, okay, this is like a dictionary definition mixed with my definition. I changed the words up a little, but it means the same thing. I just use different words. Providence. God's interaction with the universe to bring about his plan of renewal. The way God interacts with people in situations, in times, in places that shows that he is involved and he is working it to bring about his plan. It's where we get why we get so hyped about Romans 8.28 that says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been a called, uh, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's like God's working it out. That's okay. Romans 8.28. Eliezer's testimony of God's providence is a beautiful thing. It's so beautiful that he says in verse 33, when they bring him to the house, he's like, look, I can't leave. Then food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have said what I came to say. And that's when they said, speak on. And then for the next bunch of verses, go back and read it this week. There's the rest of the chapter. It's so dope. Oh, guess what? They get married. Um, spoiler alert, <laughs> then they have kids, twins, and are they a handful? And then there's deception and issues that they have to work through. But God's plan continues, and then the nation comes, then the nation falls apart, and then it gets built back together, and then it falls apart again. Just keep reading. But his testimony, verses 33 through 49, is so so amazing. And it's like, what are the chances of this happening? Like, literally, what are the chances that he was at the right place at the right time and met the right girl from the right family? Did you notice how it says she was from Nahor, the daughter of Milcah, the, the son of Nahor? You know what that meant? That was Abraham's brother's offspring. What did he say? Go back to the land I came from, to a people from my offspring, and find a daughter. It was specific. 
and he went. And he's like, and then they went. And then he saw this girl, and she was beautiful, and she was humble. She served the cow, the cows, the camels. She was hardworking. She was becoming the person God wanted her to be. She had never been with a man. She had wanted it, I'm sure, because turns out she's pretty hyped when they meet. And she responds to his question, but she was already on her way. I'll lead you to who you need to be with. Focus on being who you need to be. How is that possible? It's not apart from God working. That's why a testimony is so dope. An acknowledgement of what God has been doing behind the scenes that you just found out about. That's a story of God's providence. If I could just be straight up with you yesterday, me and Steph were talking just, and I was reminded of something because we, we grow up a little bit, which is good. Maturing, a picture of maturity stands before you. But like we learn things and we grow, but we look back and we're like, I can't, I forgot about that. I did that really stupid thing that could have sent my life down this path that is completely different. And we think that that's something to hide as, as if it never happened. It's not. It's supposed to be shared as a testimony of God's providence. If God can do this with me, I promise you, he can do it with you. That's where we share these testimonies. It's not something to be shy from. We don't, do you know how many people's sins in the Bible are associated with their name? Mary, the first one who preached the gospel, Mary Magdalene. Mary, from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. Rahab, the prostitute. Like, these are things that God, we use them as testimonies of what God has done. God loves using people who don't take the credit. Don't take the credit for what God has done in your life. God opposes people like that. He's like, oh, you're using yourself plenty. You don't need me. But he gives grace and blesses the humble who say, it wasn't me, man. God did this in my life, and I'm just every day trying to be the person he's called me to be, and the father, and the husband, and the friend, and the pastor, and just the man of the city that God is calling me to be. What about you? And someone shares their story. I'm just trying to work this out and figure this out. And then we ask God for help. God's like, I can bless that. That's a place where he gets involved. That's why I love hearing people's stories. That's why if you're here today, you got a story to share. God wants you to. Would you? What if, you, what if God brought people along the way that he sent you there, where you would look back and be like, how was that even possible? Before we hit the last point, do you have a testimony of God's providence in your life? I'm going to tell you, if you're here today, and I'm here today, the chances of me being here and you being there, apart from God's sovereignty and his, it's impossible. Because I, a story of God's grace stands before you. This shouldn't have happened. All right, last thing he's looking. Fulfill these four things in 2024, and God will make you rich and famous. All right, the last one that God is looking to send, that I believe he is speaking to our church. People who are the right kind of bold. Notice I said the right kind of bold. Because the person who says, that's just who I am. That's not the right kind of bold. That's, um, that's just mean. It's the opposite of humble. People who are the right kind of bold. What's the right kind of bold? The kind of bold that makes a guy do crazy things 
to get his girlfriend to like him. Give her a nose ring. Like when... Do stupid stuff. Write a love letter. Where'd that come from? Mi corazón. <laughs> Sing a song. Dance a dance. Love will make you do crazy things. It'll make you be bold. Here's the right kind of bold. People who pray bold prayers. This morning, a group of us circled up right here, at the, right here in this area. And we prayed boldly, that God would do stuff that we can't do. We sort of said this, Lord, we're here first to meet with you. We need you. Everyone's serving in the church every week. And then we're praying bold prayers like, would you do stuff we can't? Would you meet people where they're at? Would you supernaturally show people that you love them and you see them and you care for them and you want to transform them and bring wholeness and healing to their life, purpose to their life? People who prayed bold prayers. The servant's prayer Oddly specific. Lord, I pray today that I would get to the, there's a well. Could a super beautiful, should you care if the person you're with is beautiful? Yeah. Like this is my husband, my wife. They're ugly, but they're nice. (laughs) These would be like, dude, this is what I'm talking about. I love, this is, she was beautiful. Lord, could she be beautiful? Could she come out and just see all of us and be hospitable? Could she be humble? Could she be like the right person? That was was oddly specific. And what happens is girl comes out and he's all, well, and then it said, In his specific prayer, without saying a word, he watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Like, hmm. He wasn't like, Lord, I pray all these things, and then a girl, boom, that's her right there. He watched closely to see if God was doing, was answering his prayers. That's engagement. Bold prayers. Bold prayers keep us engaged in what God is doing. Specific prayers keep us engaged in what God is doing. Oh, and by the way, his prayer wasn't because he was lazy. Dear God, like a kid, I pray mom would come upstairs with a sandwich. And it would have pickles on it. And like no mayo. And just a little bit of cheese, but grated, not sliced. In Jesus' name, amen. It's not because he was lazy. He didn't pray specific prayers because he was lazy. Dear God, please bring someone into my life that will do this Christian thing for me. That all I have to do is just go and sit in a chair and the other people will do all the stuff you're asking the church to do and I can just be. He prayed engaging prayers. Then he paid attention. Are these happening? Are you praying bold prayers? We're having a prayer meeting in a couple of weeks where we're going to pray bold prayers. You should be at it. Because then as we look back over the year and we're like, dude, God answered that. God is doing this. Here's what I'm praying in my life. And we gather around and then we keep an eye on it together like the body of Christ does by the power of the Spirit. People who pray bold prayers in this one, people who give bold invitations. His invitation Eliezer's invitation, next level bold. Meets this girl, says who he represents, the kingdom that he's from, who his master is, what he was sent to do. And then they go back to her household. And then he says, they ask them about it. Um, A lot of verses. Hold on one sec. Ah, verse 50. After, after the servant gives his whole testimony and what God has done, verse 50, they're like, dude, this is from the Lord. That's what it says. This is from the Lord. 
What can we say? So they call, they call, um, dude, I've been saying Rachel the whole time, huh? Rebecca, that's what I meant to say. Come on, man, you guys got to correct me. I was, I was really feeling it, keeping me humble. They call Rebecca and they were like, what do you say? Here's what she says. I will go. The invitation. Jesus was all about bold invitations. And he still is about bold invitations. He'll invite us as his followers to do something without even totally telling us what we're going to do. Follow me. Sometimes that was it. And people are like, okay. And then he would even say stuff like, if you want to follow me, you got to want to follow me more than you've ever wanted to follow anything else in your life. You want to do it? And people go, yep. Sometimes as God is doing stuff in our hearts of spiritual work, you're stepping toward him. You're being like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. But I just feel like God is calling me to follow him. That, that, I need, that, that stuff is behind me. And Jesus is in front of me. And that's how Jesus calls us to follow him. He's all, let's go. You want to do some cool stuff? Follow me. It's a long journey. You're going to be tired sometimes. You're going to need help along the way. But it is a beautiful thing. And I'm going to rock your world, he would say. So if you're a Christian, you should know about all of this. Or you should know that don't stress about having all the details. You have the mission. The people that are around you, you don't have to know all the stuff about their life and this and that. The invitation is really pretty simple. Ultimately, it's asking someone, do you want to know this person? That's what the servant was sent with. Hey, I was sent by the Father to bring you to the Son. This is what his kingdom looks like. This is what his promises are. Do you want to go? And it's up to that. And he's like, well, what if she says, no, you're an idiot. Get out of here. Well, then you will be released from it, but she won't. Why? I've sent my angel before you to that conversation. Again, God's providence, but you got to go. Which is why this verse has rocked my life for so long. And it's in the King James Version, which is what I first learned it in, so I've just kept it that way. It helps me feel like my, my roots. But it just says, and being on the way, God led me. How did you get there? I was on the way. How did you start going? I was just responding to God. How did you get here? God's brought me here. It's like this crazy mix of doing life, growing up, learning God's word, God's wisdom, being surrounded by God's people, and then stepping out by faith every single day in very regular ways, and then you end up in this place where you're inviting others to do the same. Amen. Just invite people to be with Jesus. He will send his angel before you. Did you know the very end of the Bible culminates in a wedding feast? Where God, this is where the symbolism comes from. So if you thought I was just making stuff up, read all the way to the end of the Bible. And you're going to see that there's a wedding banquet where the bride has been prepared for the son. And the bride isn't one woman it says it's everyone who's been, giving the, been given wedding robes, wedding attire. You want a next one? Go read the, pro, the parable of the wedding feast. Where the people that are at the wedding in their robes are like, how did I get these super sweet robes? God's grace. And the people that are like, oh, I'm fine the way I am. They're like, mm, nope. It's all about a wedding feast. A great Marriage where the bride who is the church. Those that have responded by faith to the call to go be with the husband. We are being prepared. You are called the bride of Christ. The body of Christ. So if you want to start bad-mouthing the church, just remember who you're talking about. 
Do we have issues? Yeah, lots. But God sort of loves his bride. And we need to hold her gently and carefully. Meaning the other people in church that, that you may or may not like and all of that stuff. Just know what we're talking about. I know I've been speaking all of today pretty much generally to those who are already Christians. To the family believers, we've been looking at the servant and been reminded of what God wants us to pursue this mission. And we're gonna. If you're here at the bridge, this is what we're doing. This is what we're about. We're not going to do it perfectly, and we need to do it together, but this is, what we, this is what we, who we want to be. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus, and you're saying, well, where do I fit in the story? You're Rebecca. You're the one that God sends his servant to go get. You're the one that he was sent to find. The Bible calls you a lost sheep. You've been over here doing your thing. People are like, oh, you're bad. You're not bad. You're lost. And God is like, I'm coming for you. And you know it because you're, you're something happens. I remember when I was sitting in church and I went from these people are really weird to like, man, they really believe this stuff. To like, I think I like believe this too. To pick me, Lord. It's this, this process. He wants to pour out blessing to you, but ultimately he's inviting you to be with his son. So that's what I want to do today. I want to give a bold invitation that if you don't know Jesus or you only know a version of Jesus that's like mean Jesus or uncool Jesus or you, look, there's a, there's a reality to Jesus. He's God and he's holy. And we're not. So he's going to show us things about us that aren't holy. But he's not then going to rub your face in it like a little puppy who poo-poo's on the floor. I just, that just came to me. <laughs> he points it out and then he gives us wedding robes anyways. Because he's just asking us to respond. So maybe you've never done that because you've been scared. Because you're really ashamed about stuff you've been through. About what you've done. I think you just need to see what God sees when he looks at you. A potential bride for his son. Like someone that he loves. That he would lay down his own life on your behalf so that where he is, you could be. That is the invitation. There is someone who has been waiting for you. He sent us to tell you he knows you. He loves you. He has plans for your life. You can be part of a group of people that also he knows and loves and has plans for their life and are walking to wanting to serve him and know him in this world, part of the body of Christ. And then you say yes to him in your life. And then, like the servant, you realize as you say yes to him, it's actually him who has been saying yes to you the whole time. It's a crazy thing. So let's pray. And I, I'm going to give an invitation. And if your heart is like, yeah, that's me, I'm going to ask you so boldly by faith to acknowledge that by standing to your feet, and we can pray for you. So if you are here, and we'll go to those of us that know him first, and you accept what God is calling you to do in this new season of life, this is your mission should you choose to accept it that he wants to send you into a foreign country with a mission to get bride 
for his son. And he's asking you to just go daily and you want to be faithful and walk with God in this new place in your life. I just want to ask you to stand to your feet. And if you are here this morning and you are at this place where you have never been like, God, I want to respond to you and ask and, and, and respond by giving myself to you. And you want to trade in what you've been doing. And by faith, even if you don't know what every step looks like, you want to, by faith, go the way God has been. Is pulling you to go. I want you to stand to your feet. For the first time, you've never been like, Lord, I want you to come into my life. I want you to stand up. All right. I'm going to say a prayer. I want all of you to just pray this with me. Whether you're standing down or sitting up, if you believe what I'm about to say, I want you to pray it along out loud. Dear God, please come into my life. If you'll have me, I'll give myself to you. Please forgive me, Lord, for all the things that I've done on my own that don't represent you. Please come into my heart and make me new and lead me in the path you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's sing a song, and then I'll come up and dismiss us.